Welcome to the USCCB First Freedom Podcast. I'm Aaron Weldon. And I'm Mary McCluskey. Recently, our colleagues here at the USCCB in Justice, Peace, and Human Development launched Civilize It, A Better Kind of Politics, an initiative aimed at helping Catholics address polarization. Drawing heavily from the encyclical Fratelli Tutti, Civilize It calls U.S. Catholics to treat all people with dignity and respect as we engage in political discourse. You can check it out at, at civilizeit.org. Joining us to discuss the initiative, we have Alexandra Carroll, who is our communications manager for social mission here at the USCCB. I suspect she had a strong hand in how a lot of the Civilize It resources were developed. So it's great. We're going to hear straight from her um, more about this project. Alexandra, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Great to be here. First of all, just give us the basics. What is Civilize It? And what does it involve? And who is it for? Yeah, thank you, Aaron. Um, so as you said, Civilize It, A Better Kind of Politics, it's an initiative of the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. It, it was born out of the Department of Justice and Peace, but we have a great uh, broadband support and engagement from our colleagues across the, the, the conference. And so I've seen a lot of engagement in it. It's an initiative that's set to respond to Pope Francis's call in Fratelli Tutti to build a better kind of politics, one truly at the service of the common good. And this campaign is really building off of a successful one we launched in the 2019-2020 election cycle of the same name, and we called that one um, Civilized Dignity Beyond the Debate. And that, so this campaign sort of building off of that momentum and seeks to engage individuals, families, and communities in in dialogue and bridge building in pursuit of the common good. So really looking at how do we continue this movement beyond the election season? You know, we're in this time now um, post-pandemic and sort of really moving forward with this call to bridge building and, and pursuing the common good. So I know in part it's responding to Pope Francis's encyclical, but there's also partly, um, you know, kind of trends out there in our, in our country that, that you're also responding to. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, what prompted y'all to, to undertake the initiative in terms of kind of what's going on in our country right now? Yeah, um, and I think a lot of it came from similarly taking our cues from Pope Francis. He he has talked about a lot, uh, you know, in Fratelli Tutti calls that, you know, a throwaway world. Um, we're sort of in the midst of this, this situation right now where, you know, there's new forms of poverty. There's the sort of the, the indifference towards the dignity of the human person is, is the words he uses. And I think really that uh, mixed with you know, in the United States, we just went through a really rough election cycle. Um, you know, I don't know about, about anyone else, but, you know, it certainly was rough for me. Um, just sort of a lot of division and and just difficulty in sort of engaging in conversations and, and focusing on on the betterment of, of our society and of our country sort of has taken a second place to, to sort of being right or being, you know, having the best answer or having the, you know, the loudest voice. Um, and, and so, we recognize that and recognize that we had this call to civility and to dialogue in the election season, but sort of coming out of the election season more than ever, we need it now. We need to be entering into these conversations to building bridges. And so you civilize it. Um, we put together this another pledge like we did last time, pledging to charity, clarity, and creativity, uh, which I think is really fun because it, you know, we're trying to recognize 
especially in the aftermath of a pandemic, you know, there is a need to work creatively to uh, address the, the divisions and the tensions and just the problems that our society is facing and respond in a way that um, lives into to the, the call of, of, of our church. Alexandra, I'm curious about um, what Civilize It adds to what is already in our faith, because our faith does already call us to these things. It calls us to be charitable in speech. It calls us to listen to the other side. You know, it calls us to, to already kind of do some of the things that you're talking about. So what does Civilize It add to that that, that doesn't already, uh, isn't already called for by our faith? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think um, a really important distinction is we're not trying to necessarily add anything. I think it's just um, an intentionality, you know, really lift up the, everything you said that exists in our faith. And I think that's the beauty of uh, when we read Fratelli Tutti as a, as a team, looking at, you know, this is, this is such a great, um, you know, culmination of, of everything that we, that we always hear, we talk about throughout our faith, all those things about, you know, respecting our neighbor and, and the dignity of the human person, pursuing the common good and creating a society where all can thrive is absolutely what's called for in our faith. And I think really with Civilize It, just trying to remind folks very intentionally about those principles and about those bedrocks of our faith um, and allow them time to, to be intentional about it and to sort of allow them a tool. I think really Civilize It, we're looking at, at you know, here is a tool for you to, to start this process, to engage in this work at a time where I think, um, you know, we're all tired. This last year has been really just exhausting and trying um, and giving people a, a way to sort of start beginning that work again that, that we're called to. So before we go too much further in talking about kind of what Civilize It is all about, the resources you're providing, I think it might be helpful to define a few of the terms that we're using because, you know, we're those of us who work here at the conference or people who are kind of immersed in church politics and stuff. I mean, we we sort of we, we it's easy for us to assume that everybody knows what we're talking about. Can, so can you just say, you know, say something about the words we're using, particularly polarization and civility? What is polarization and why is it even a problem? It, it's something that, you know, I think some people will look, will say, look, you always kind of have different sides in all of church history and all in political history. You always have sides where people disagree with each other. Um, so what's so different or why is polarization some particular problem right now? And then what's civility and why does it matter? Yeah, I think Pope Francis gives really interesting explanations of, of those two words. I think you're right. You know, we hear them a lot in society and, and um, you know, and there are definitely sort of the, the more dictionary definitions. But I think that the dimension that we get sort of in the within the um, context of our faith is really helpful. You know, Pope Francis talks about, I think it was a speech he was giving a couple years ago to, to a new cardinals um, and talking to them about the virus of polarization. And I find that really striking, you know, polarization, right, when we're so entrenched in, in, in these sort of back and forth sides, the, this, this really, I think of tension, I just think of this really strong tension. And, and in his book, uh, Let Us Dream, that came out this past year as well, and Pope Francis talks about polarization results when we perceive disagreement and as, contra as contradiction instead of contraposition. And I think that's a really interesting point, the idea that instead of you know the sort of contradiction of separate camps where one is the winner and one is the loser 
we have this idea of contraposition where differences exist, but we're capable of interacting in, in what he calls fruitful and creative tension. And I think that's a really important differentiation because, you know, polarization, when we see it as one side versus the other, and we see it as, you know, good versus bad or, um, you know, winner versus loser, we lose the reality that I think, you know, both in, in our faith, but also in, in the United States, right, there's these shared principles of good and of, um, you know, human dignity and of this sort of ability to allow everyone to thrive and have good, um, good lives that suit, suit their, their God-given dignity. We all want that. And it's just sort of, you know, I think this idea of contraposition is how do we get there? The argument, you know, the, the discussion has to come around how we get to, the, to these principles, to these ideals that we strive for, whereas, you know, this idea of contradiction is this inherent difference. And I think that's really sort of when we talk about polarization, it's, it's that idea of moving from a place of contradiction to contraposition. Um, and, and I think civility, uh, you know, the other term is helpful in that because we talked about this a lot in the last iteration of Civilize It. Civility is, is really at the root of it, recognizing the dignity of the other person. Being able to enter into a conversation, recognize that you're talking to, you know, another, a, a brother or sister, as somebody created in the image and likeness of God who has inherent dignity and may be coming at a, a question, a conversation, a discussion from a different position, from a different experience, and how to be able to separate, you know, a disagreement with a with a, a sort of difference of you know a pure sort of cancelization of your belief or or denying uh, what you know to be true you know how do you sort of recognize that and have a conversation and a dialogue that recognizes that you both have legitimate and real lived experiences that need to be brought into dialogue and brought into the conversation. Well, you just used another term that I wanted to ask you about. That's dialogue. You know, that's one of the civilized it resources is a reflection on dialogue as a way to love one's neighbor. Uh, can you talk about that one a little bit? What is dialogue and how is how is dialogue a way to express our love, uh, express love for our neighbors? Dialogue is one of the, I think, the core ways we encounter. And I think but Francis talks about, you know, encounter with our neighbors as this sort of heart of the Christian life. And that is, is, is really, we're called to renew this uh, openness to authentic encounters. And when we engage in a dialogue, we, um, you know, an, an open, loving, you know, civil dialogue, we, it's, it's the ability to respect another's points of, point of view and admit that they, that they have legitimate convictions and concerns and sort of, you know, this is, I think we talk about dialogue is this way to love our neighbor in in three ways right it's it's a way we show our love for god because we recognize that each person has been created in god's image and and has you know viable dignity as as a child of god um we show our love for neighbor with dialogue by choosing to engage outwardly in the world around us choosing to uh give voice to those who maybe aren't heard you know i think uh pope francis talks a lot for telly tutti about listening and amplifying the voices of those who've been marginalized. You know, he talks about migrants, those with disabilities, the poor, you know, all, all groups of people, you know, allowing them to share their stories and, and being willing to listen. I think that's a big part of dialogue and a big act of love to be able to acknowledge the experience and to engage in an in a, um, act of relationship building and bridge building. You know, Pope Francis tells that the key to dialogue is building communities that rise above the damage done by indifference. And I think that's such a beautiful image that dialogue is an opportunity to acknowledge previous hurt, to acknowledge previous um, injustices, and to 
think about ways forward to collaboratively work towards way for towards ways forward that really empower those who have been impacted, empower those, you know, in in a situation, um, and allow that that relationship to be built. And and similarly, you know, we love ourselves um, in in this this in, when we engage in dialogue because we we allow ourselves to be transformed through that encounter with the other. Um, you know, and again, another beautiful piece from Fratelli Tutti is the, the idea of the Good Samaritan that Pope Francis talks about and talks about how that encounter changes you as much as it changes the person that you're there to help. And so it seems so simple. It's just a conversation, but it's in the approach. It's in, it's in the willingness to allow yourself that to, to be open to a conversation that may be difficult, that may be challenging to what you know to be true, but can be so transformative in our ability to lift up our neighbor and to love our neighbor, but to also show our love for God and, and for the creation that, that God has, has produced. So Alexandra, like what you're describing is, is, is beautiful when it's done well, you know, I mean, I've, I've had discussions where that I like to think have been, you know, authentic dialogue and they're very challenging because it it involves somewhat really opening your, your mind and your heart to opinions or thoughts and ideas that either initially you're, you know, you're a little resistant to, or you're like, oh, I've never heard this before, or it, it really can be a challenge. And what I think this authentic dialogue also presupposes is an openness on the part of both parties, or at least initially one or one party to start, right, to, to actually be, to have that openness, right? And I mean, I guess my question is, what do you do, you know, what do you do, when do you not want to enter into this dialogue? I mean, how do you overcome the challenge of people who don't want to authentically dialogue? That, that's a great question. I think that is the, the golden question. Um, and I think that, so the first part of our pledge is, is charity. And I think that sort of that point about entering and being willing to enter into the world with a sense of charity, being willing to recognize that, you know, as I said, we, you know, we're, you're, you're, you know, you're, uh, we're all brothers and sisters. We're all created in the image and likeness of God. And that, that has to be the best, you know, that has to be sort of the foundational point in entering to a conversation. And I think, you know, we have resources of um, examination of consciences and prayers. And I think a lot of it, it does have to start with a, a personal willingness to enter the world with, with a mindset of charity, a mindset of recognizing that people have had their experiences that they've had. They, they, have lived things that, that I, that I don't know, you know, they, you know, it's sort of that willingness to step into the, the other person's shoes. It's hard. It's very hard. The division that we've seen in the, in the last year and a half in, in the United States in particular has sort of made that even harder. Um, you know, we're, we're given narratives that pit one side against the other, you know, we're given these narratives by, by society that sort of say that, you know, well, they're not worthy of your conversation. They're not worthy of this. The challenge for us as people of faith to, I think really return to the scriptures. Um, you know, we see Jesus calling us to, to have these conversations all the time, to, to engage with those who are different, to engage with those who we may disagree with, and to really examine why we, why are we disagreeing with it? Why do I find this so challenging? And I think it's hard because I think the initial, the like knee-jerk reaction, right, is like this threatens to undo all that I know and all that I, I believe to be true. And that's hard. It's so hard. You know, we talk about this with community organizing similarly, you know, like to have to change systems and structures and recognize that the way I've been living may not be just for those, for my neighbors, you know, is so hard. Um, and I think we, it's, it's part of the, the challenge of faith um, to recognize that this is part of 
the Holy Spirit at work in the world, calling us to recognize that we may have faltered um, in our choices, that we may we may be misunderstanding. You know, I think a lot of our misunderstandings come from lack of, of awareness and education. Um, and maybe we just don't know. It's hard. But I think the first step is sort of being willing to look inward in ourselves and ask if we're really, if, if we are living in, a, living in the world with a heart open to encounters and to our neighbors. And I think as a follow-up, you know, there is also, we have the, the church's teachings, you know, we have the, the, the truths that the church teaches as a guide for us as well. You know, it's not like Absolutely. we're going out there open to anything and everything. We have the church to, to guide us and we have the truth to share. And, and that is, that is also a challenge as well as accepting that, that other people might not be accepting of that truth right away. That's their individual faith journey that they're on. Absolutely. And that, that gets to that, the second part of our pledge, the clarity, right. Is to really sort of, again, that, that homework that we have to do of making sure that we, we are rooted in the, the truth of our faith and our, in what we know is, is, is true. And as you said, sort of being willing to accompany somebody on that journey um, and accompany, and, you know, and maybe we need to be accompanied. Maybe we have forgotten, you know, how do, how do we sort of, how can it be a, a mutual sort of relationship um, in that encounter? And I think, I think you're exactly right. One of my own thoughts about the issue of polarization, like I've, it's been something that I've been somewhat interested in even before I started working at the Bishop's Conference, and particularly polarization within the Catholic Church itself. One of the issues it often seems to me, we assume that the divisions are often about policies or these issues, but it seems to me, and this is partly from my experience, but also just from some stuff I've read, that you know the biggest differences or maybe it's not to say the biggest differences, but, but a key differences are more about culture and community. You know, the community I belong to is sort of um, indicated by these different kinds of practices and, and, and sort of then the politics and my stance on issues may have more to do with simply just expressing the community that I belong to, if that makes sense. And so you know, we often, I think these different communities live in different worlds. I mean, they live in different, they have different world views. So, but it, but then one of the things I think about this often, particularly with our work, and, and also, I mean, this, I think probably in, in, for Mary's office is probably an issue too of pro-life is we will often say like, well, how do we get over this misperception of what we're about? You know, like, how do we how do we frame it so that we can say, like, what we're really for? But I often think, you know, even if we made the best argument, we're talking about sort of like any kinds of awareness campaigns we may run or whatever. Even if we made like a really good argument, if somebody were to start to believe that and they came from the so-called other side, they're risking their place in their own community. You know, they're going to be seen a certain way. And and this can go all different ways, you know, I mean, for on multiple, I don't even mean this just in terms of red, blue, but just across all sorts of different divisions. If you start to say, you know, they actually kind of have a point on such and such issue. There's a very, even if you're totally all in with your own group on everything else, if you sort of are thinking like, well, on this one thing, maybe they actually kind of have a point. Like you're going to be suspect with your own group. And it's almost like, I mean, it's to the point where it's almost like you're not just trying to convince them on a political or on a policy decision. 
you're almost asking them to make something like a religious conversion. Yeah, I mean, it's like it's pretty intense. I think the way we're sort of drawn into our our groups and everything. And I mean, what what do you make of that? You know, what does this mean for Catholics? What are we supposed to do with that? Well, that is a that is a quite the question because I, I I will I'm not going to solve it. Um, I cannot. I don't. You know, I like that would take a huge sort of group. I think people who are far smarter than I am. I, I keep going back to the document, but I sort of Vertali Tutti is this just I, I like it's it's has so many insights, and I really loved the the intention that Pope Francis had around spending time talking about like the local and the universal. And I think that lends a, a little bit of insight here where he says, you know, you can't, you can't enter a conversation sort of on the global scale or on the, you know, sort of in the, the universal scale without having those firm foundations that you cultivate in your local reality, right? So in your, in your community that you're from, that you um, have these ties from that helped you to form, you know, how you see the world, you have to have those firm foundations because those are so important. Um, and, I, you know, I think we see this a lot with um, talking about, you know, the United States, especially because we are the beautiful thing about the United States, right, is we are people from all sorts of cultures and communities and realities. And, and we, we live, we live and work together and we uh, become one, one community. And the, it's so important that those home communities or those sort of places of origin stay true and come through and are allowed to be brought to the conversation because they help to make us all better. And I think that's sort of where, you know, he moves to this universal of, of you know, I think he says something like, you know, that, that it's the idea that, that we have to um, be terrified of sort of coming, coming together with those who think different from us, you know, is, 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 you know, is silly, right? You know, this idea that we all sort of make each other better. And I, I think it gets back to what uh, we were talking about earlier with contradiction and contraposition, right? You know, of, of how, how do I hear someone else's position, someone else's, you know, position's probably not the right word. How do I hear someone's opinion, someone else's reality, someone else's, what they know it to be true, sort of how they and their community have formed ideas around this and how they sort of have lived their lives. How do I hear that in a way that's not threatening to what I know to be true? And, and I think, you know, yes, okay, maybe there are some instances, you know, I think racism is certainly one where that's different. Um, that is, you know, a question of justice and that's a different sort of conversation. But you know, when you're looking at sort of differences of just how, again, we get to those same shared truths. Um, and I think there are, you know, again, a lot of those that, you know, around dignity and around um, justice, that we have shared truths with people who may come at them differently and have that contraposition piece. But it doesn't contradict what I know to be true. Um, and, and it's hard. It's hard, right? Because as you said, you have to take that back to your community and be like, I promise, you know, this isn't, this isn't threatening what we know to be true. And it isn't, you know, and, and it, um, yeah, it, it's hard, you know, I think, but I do think that positioning it as sort of recognizing, recognizing what you share and recognizing that the difference, the different approaches, the different shared realities can enrich each other is really sort of is the starting point to that conversation of how to maybe address some of those differences and, and different ideas and, and ways like that. Well, I wonder if another, if a way to to think about these things is also just um, that you could help us with is to think, to share with us some concrete examples. Like you said, you've already done this once um, in the last election. And I, as my understanding is that the backdrop to this was it was sort of inherited um, or entrusted to the USCCB from, was it the Cincinnati, I mm -hmm. think? Yep. So the, the civilized, the idea has been, you know, we've been 
doing it for a little while. Can you tell us about either individuals or communities that have taken some of these principles and put them into practice and how that's worked out? Or even if it's not civilized, it just other groups out there that are working to, to deal with these sorts of issues. What, what are some experiences and ways that this has concretely worked out? Yeah, you know, looking at, at what we did with the, the previous iteration, there were several, we had several dioceses throughout the country who would, you know, they held listening sessions, they held, you know, time, spaces for dialogue, um, opportunities to sort of put those examples into practices um, around the election. And now moving forward, you know, we, we um, are just getting started. So I think a lot of people are still brainstorming exactly how they're going to do it. We have a list of several launch partners from around the country. So we have, you know, and these include dioceses, these include Catholic schools, um, these include, you know, all different institutions that are looking at bringing this sort of renewed call to bridge building, um, renewed call to, to pursuing the common good into their dioceses and doing it local. Uh, one, the Archdiocese of Washington here, here in DC, out of their, the, from the director of life issues, uh, they're working on this program and they have five or six other dioceses who are doing it in tandem with them um, to do this sort of civil dialogue training program and really sort of living out, I think, a lot of what our, um, we're hoping to see put into practice with this new uh, version of Civilize It. And they're starting to train diocesan personnel on how to have civil dialogue. They're bringing in uh, a professional company who sort of does this who does trainings on, on how to have a conversation in a way that is, is civil, that is respectful, that is, um, you know, productive. And then, you know, those diocesan personnel will train actually young adult leaders, really looking at how do we put this into practice with the youth? Um, you know, and I think that's so important, right? Because the youth are, you know, they're, they're going to be who, who take on a lot of this and they're having a lot of these conversations already. So then these young adult leaders are going to have planned civil dialogues throughout the year. And, they're hoping to do at least at least three in each di each of the participating dioceses, and these civil dialogues will take the form of conversations around the consistent ethic of life, of justice issues, of you know all all sorts of the, the spectrum um, of of truth we know to be true um, in our faith, and sort of what holds true for us, and those places that have often sparked division. You know, so it's in its its beginning phase. They're working on training the diocesan uh, leaders now. Um, and getting those sort of tools to them. Um, but we're really excited to see sort of how that develops. And I think that's really looking at, you know, the last piece of the pledge is, is creativity, um, which I, I just love because I think, you know, that's really what we're called for is there's going to be no cookie cutter answer for every community. It's all going to be different. But how do we just go into it with a spirit of creativity and open to realizing that you know, it, it has to be a little bit, a little bit fun, a little bit, um, you know, use a little bit of ingenuity to figure out how can we begin to have these conversations locally. So, you know, we're still sort of seeing how it's all developing, but we're, we're hoping to be able to share a lot of it um, as, as these events happen. So Alexander question about young people, because I mean, young people use social media, like it's, you know, I don't like they breathe air, right? So in training young people, or at least in the general guidelines of civilize it, big elephant in the room or not so much in the room, but like digitally, you know, what does civilize it say about um, our behavior on social media? Because I see immediate, like a dialogue, so to speak, if you can call it that can quickly devolve into name calling profanity on social media like that. So what does civilized say about use on social use of social media? 
Yeah, well, and that that feels like another sort of like it's the, I mean it's a big elephant in the room, and it's you know and I do communications, and I like this question keeps me awake at night because I think social media can be such a really great tool, especially we've seen in the pandemic. Like it's this it's this easy accessible avenue to have that encounter when maybe you can't have it in person to engage with people who you may not have access to you know in other places. Um, but there is such a tendency and it's almost every every time right that it can devolve and and I think it the the challenge with social media is it's so easy to think you're just talking into a void to forget that though there are people on the other side of those comments that there are people on the other side of you know reading it right you know a Facebook post that you comment back to a person is going to be read by you know thousands of others right and so it's there's all these people sort of who are involved in this really public conversation that feels private right? That feels sort of like you're just commenting off into the middle of nowhere. And so I think um, it gets back to a lot of, I think the same principles that we were talking about when, you know, these conversations are difficult. You know, we have to make sure that our digital communications, that our interactions in an online space are, you know, as as we would in person. Uh, We have to remember that there's another person there and we have to remember that they are also a child of God who has inherent dignity and that dignity must be upheld in our interactions with them. And, you know, we may disagree, but that, you know, there, but there's a way to handle that disagreement. You know, there's a way to approach that. And again, right, like it sounds really easy, but it's, it's an immense challenge. And I think just as we need to diffuse the, that division that exists in our society, we have to figure out a way to diffuse it on social media. And I am, oh God, I, I wish I had the answer. I'd be so much better at my job if I had the answer to that question. But I think it just starts with, with again, that, that personal introspection and seeing that it, it's, again, it's differences and, and disagreements don't necessarily mean that it contradicts what you know to be true or that it cancels out the, the truth that we know. It, it is just sort of, again, you know, how do we, it's an invitation for further conversation. And so civilize it as much as it's a tool, it's also, it's, it's a big challenge. It's a big challenge to those who choose to engage it. And, you know, so we, we hope that it's more than just taking a pledge. We hope that it's taking the pledge and really committing to finding ways to put into practice charity clarity and creativity and really finding ways to root that into your interactions. Most people probably aren't familiar with their own advocacy and whether it's through here in DC or through community organizing. Um, But I just wonder if you could say something like, how do you think our work at the conference is informed by the principles that Civilize It is talking about? You know, do you think that we ourselves at the USCCB model a better kind of politics or what, what, and what's our role there? Like, do we need to like apply these these things to ourselves um, first? Yeah, I think I think we're, I think we do a great job. I know, for example, on our policy work, on our our pol- legislative advocacy work, um, it's very collaborative. You know, I think we make a really strong we have we have strong intentional acts of sort of working across uh, departments. You know, I know um, you know in, in justice, peace, and human development, right? You know, when we are excited about a policy, we'll connect with our colleagues in pro-life and our colleagues, you know, even in, in religious liberty to make sure that this is a good policy and that that every, you know, every piece of it is um, fulfilling those teachings of our faith. And, and if not, you know, how can we work together to sort of approach our advocacy with our elected officials on this? And, and I think we do, you know, we go to meetings together, we write these policy letters together and we put, you know, action alerts for, for our grassroots um, advocates that talk about how 
this is a good policy that, you know, enriches the family and upholds the dignity of the human person and lifts up the marginalized, you know, sort of a, a talking about how we're working, we're really working to try to make policy that our elected officials are supporting and passing and, and implementing meet the, you know, the full breadth and depth of the priorities of the different, of the different departments. And I think that's great. I love it because I, um, I talk about it a lot when I'm talking with folks in dioceses or, you know, advocates on the ground. That's, that's the role of the church is to bring in those different priorities and to make sure that, that the policies that we're implementing lift those up and, and uh, protect those and um, implement those. And so I think that's really one concrete way. I think, um, you know, as you mentioned, um, the Catholic Campaign for Human Development, our domestic anti-poverty program um, is sort of built on this bedrock, right? We talk about, you know, it does works on community organizing, but it also works with economic development and really um, helping communities to begin this conversation, you know, so it's through us, um, through our support, we empower these local community organizations that are that are giving voice to those who have been previously marginalized, you know, whether it's families, whether it's uh, migrants, you know, those who are um, economically poor, you know, looking at those who have been somehow marginalized from the rest of their communities and really in allowing the community to engage with them. And so we see a lot of um, congregational based groups that bring together different people across different faiths, different aspects of the community, you know, some who are a little more um, wealthy, some who are, um, you know, currently living in poverty and sort of bringing them across those divides to look at what the community needs. And so I see that as a really another concrete way that we're trying to help to empower this process of encounter and civility. And I think, I think we're doing a good job. And I, I hope that it seems that way. I think sometimes where we could do better is maybe sharing it. Um, I say as a community, as a communications person that, you know, I think we should, we should talk about that a little bit more, but I think, um, I think we're doing a good job. Mary, any final questions before we wrap it up? Well, Aaron, I guess um, we like to always end on a very positive, practical note. And what can the listeners of the First Freedom Podcast do to get involved in Civilize It? Yes. So the very first thing you can do is go to civilizeit.org, as was mentioned earlier, and take the pledge um, and commit to joining a movement of Catholics who have pledged to promote charity, clarity, and creativity to pursue the common good. From there, we have a ton of resources. We have resources on dialogue on, you know, there's one on the, the five tips from Pope Francis on how to begin these conversations, an examination of conscience, um, all sorts of really good things to sort of help you personally, you know, in your family, in your community, in your faith group. And, you know, we also invite you to share, um, share with us what you're doing, share with us how you're taking these resources, how you're taking this pledge and how you're living it out and help to sort of engage other folks in, in the work as well. So. Head to civilizeit.org and you'll find all that you need. Well, Alexandra, thank you so much. Um, it's been a good conversation and congratulations on the successful launch of the Civilize It initiative. And thanks for joining us. Thanks. Thanks for having me. We've been talking with Alexandra Carroll about the new Civilize It initiative. I'm Aaron Weldon. And I'm Mary McCleskey. And thank you for joining us for this episode of the First Freedom Podcast. <laughs>